For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. This is a reading from Ephesians. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were first to set our hope in Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Karen, I'll take it. Uh, So most commentators agree that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this. Uh, Some say that maybe it was one of his disciples, uh, and if that's the case, uh, that disciple really learned how to write in the style of Paul, which is run-on sentences, no need for an editor, and uh, so I counted, there's actually only five sentences. <laughs> there's only five sentences in this power-packed passage, and I almost uh, took a pass on this one because it's so chock-full of ideas and concepts, but then I also, but I, I, I couldn't take a pass on it because it's so full of these beautiful uh, ideas and concepts, and so... Uh, I have CJ telling me when the 20-minute mark is up, so uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to need that or else we're going to be here until at least dusk. So question, um, have you ever received something so good that it delighted you to the point that you forgot your normal tendency to feel like you immediately have to pay the gift back? Have you ever gotten something so remarkably amazing that you didn't even think, oh my goodness, now I'm in this person's debt, now I have to pay them back. I remember uh, there was a birthday party for our twins, and one of our twins opened up a card, and it was a $50 gift card to Amazon. 
and the squeal, the utter joy that emanated from the lungs of this boy was like, it, it shocked the whole house. It was, it, I, I would try to replicate it, but it would break the speakers and it would, be, it would not be, be good. But there was this immediate sense of like, and when you're nine and you get a gift like that, you start thinking, the world is mine. Now you can argue, well, it's 50 bucks, or, you know, like uh, I'm sure, you know, that, that satisfaction of that lasted five seconds. Um, but the point is, this passage is really mostly about a human being trying in some very infantile way to explain the pleasure that God takes in loving us. And that there is nothing we have to do, need to do, or can do to pay that back or to try to earn it or to try to be good enough for it. There's nothing bad we can do that would erase it. I know that sounds to some of you who've grown up in the evangelical church, blah, 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 blah. But, <laughs> right? Wow, that was a little too like, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, until you get to the point where you really have messed up to the degree that you think that there is no uh, getting God's love back, and then you realize that it's there anyway. And so it's not just a travel brochure that you read. It's a place that you've actually visited. Uh, and I think that's the place that Paul's writing from. Amen? I think he's writing from a place of deep, deep experience. And he's not saying it, but I think he's essentially saying this is the rudest crayon drawing compared to uh, a masterpiece in the Louvre compared to what it actually is like. There's just no way I can explain this well. So I'm just going to ramble on for pages and pages. Um, so blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And so essentially Paul starts with saying, all you can do is, is be thankful. That, that's really all you can do. Blessed be God for giving us these things. Um, and so uh, all play. All plays, by the way, if you're new, are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. So uh, what is a spiritual blessing? <laughs> Doesn't that just take all the fun out of the question? What's a spiritual blessing? Okay, something that's not attached to the necessity to pay it back or, or something else. It feels fluttery. Like oh. It feels vaporous. It feels intangible. It feels... Yeah, I got it. Thanks, Mothership. Okay, what else? What's a spiritual blessing? Thanks, Dave. Something that not only blesses you, but blesses other people. Yeah. Yeah. Something that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Can't be earned, can't be taken away. It's like created or birthed in the womb of God, and then you get to see it. You know, I think that's all true. And I also think coffee is a spiritual blessing, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think when you taste that first sip, like we don't need to differentiate 
if something is good and if it delights you and if it doesn't hurt someone else, <laughs> that also is a blessing from God. All those things you said, absolutely true. Jesus, Christ, the Son of the living God, is perhaps the biggest blessing that comes from God to us that we've just barely understood 1% of the goodness of that gift. Um, but uh, many other things are, are, are blessings. I mentioned my dinner with Todd and Karen. I wrote that down. That was a spiritual blessing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. But also, um, I got some feedback about my writing that was really critical this last week. Like, ouch. But it was also super helpful and it made me refine an idea that I was stuck at. And so that to me was a spiritual blessing. Even though in the beginning it was like, thank you, no, uh, for that. Um, Terry and Amelia's voices this morning, your voices this morning, spiritual blessing. I wrote down Richard Rohr for me, spiritual blessing. Books. Summer, the smell of lilacs, the smell of my kids when I hug them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So maybe the better question is, what isn't a spiritual blessing? And be okay, every once in a while I run into people and like, I, I, no one from Genesis, but I was in someone's house this week, and it's a beautiful house, I mean, in every way, big and gorgeous and lots of land, and um, I was like, oh my gosh, this place is beautiful, and you could t I could see the tension, like, they wanted to say just thank you, but they also had to sort of justify it, you know, well, it, I, 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 well, you, you know, like, but you can't say you got it on sale unless you got it for a lower price, you know, and then you say that. Because if, like, if you got a shirt at Target, you know, like, hey, a nice shirt. Oh, I got it at Target, so I, you know, it, it, it's okay for me to have it. Um, <laughs> like, be okay with enjoying a good gift. Don't drown in that good gift, but be okay enjoying it. God chose us in Christ. This is the second sentence. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Any ideas what that is getting at? All play. Okay. Oh, Rick, yeah. The eternal nature of us and God, and God's design for all of us that sort of, does it have a beginning? Does it have an end? Anyone else? Christ was present in God long before Jesus. Now, we know that Bob is telling the truth, and he's not a heretic, because it says that right here in Ephesians 1. It says it in Colossians 1. It says it in John 1. It says it in Hebrews 1. And it says it in 1 John 1. In John 1, it says something like, in the beginning was the word, logos, that is the Christ. That's what they used to refer to as the animating presence called the Christ that indwelled Jesus. 
but that has existed for all times. So that's fascinating. Anyone else have any other interpretations of this? It reaffirms Genesis 1 that we're made to be God's children. We're made in the image of God. Thanks, Greg. Mm. Yeah, we tend to think of location and time as having boundaries. But Sally is saying, really, you can look at the garden as being within God. And so sometimes people talk about getting back to the garden. But really, we don't get back to the garden. We keep moving, and then we find the garden where we are moving. We also find the wilderness where we are moving, don't we? More than once in life. And so there is the sense of, Sally's like, that's not really what I was saying, but, but close, close. Okay. Um, so in Christ... Uh, Bob's absolutely right. The Christ has existed for all of eternity, for longer than history. And that is an, a, a mind-boggling thought when you think about it, because it's in Christ that all things hold together. Later on in this passage, we're going to find out that it is in Christ that all things will be gathered up at the kairos moment, at the right moment, at just the right time. All things will be gathered up into Christ. The word for gathered up there is a really long word, that essentially means the summary of all things will be put together in Christ. All things that are horrible, all things that are beautiful will have a finish line and an organizing principle of the Christ. And that is really good news, especially in the, in the middle of bad news. So Christ is this animating, fundamental, has existed for all time, since before time, manifestation of God that allowed God to choose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, foundation of the world, now we know that, you know, the, the, the universe, uh, in terms of whatever you want to call it, the Big Bang, was 14.6 billion years ago, but the earth itself is maybe four or five billion years old, and human beings are just like, you know, of that 4.5 billion Basically, in the last 30 seconds, <laughs> human beings have been alive. So that gives you a little perspective of the foundation of this world. And 99% of this universe is dark matter that we don't know. And the universe is still expanding now we know. So into all of that reality, these verses written about 2,000 years ago speak that in Christ, we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. And... There's no need, because I was expecting some of you, maybe Reformed folks, Calvinists, to say, well, yeah, this is the verse that was told to me that people that were destined for heaven, God chose them before time to go to heaven, which also means that people that are going to hell, God chose from before time that they would spend eternity in hell. In this verse, there's simply no reason to go there. It's just not saying that at all. It's saying that God's choosing of people, as Rick alluded to, is so deep and is so true that it has no beginning. Just like you can't identify the beginning of Christ, the Christ, which was present in the beginning of the world. Are you tracking here? Just like you can't identify the beginning of the Christ 
It's impossible to imagine a time, this verse is saying, when God was not choosing on behalf of human beings. That's what Paul is trying to, with a crayon, trying to trace out the Mona Lisa. Does that make sense? So does God decide before anyone is even born that certain people will go to heaven and certain people will go to hell? (laughs) That is the wrong question. That question will spin you off into ins and outs and dualisms and I'm good and you're bad and it'll make me defend why I'm one of the elect and why you're not or someone else is not. And even if, even if you could convince me that God did that, if you could convince me that God did that, predestined some people for heaven and some people for hell, I will go on record as to say I would not want to spend eternity with a monster like that. I think if you're going to understand the beauty of what Paul is trying to write here, to take it to that base level is actually one of the deepest lies from the pit of hell that is designed to make us distrust the good God that loves us and that has always loved us and that we have Hardly any idea how to receive that love. It's so vast and bottomless and beginningless. And that's good news. It has to be that good and more. Amen? Uh, In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. So redemption literally means the word ransom. What's a ransom? All play? It's a payment. Yep. So it's like, you know, the movies that, we, that we've watched about the kid that gets kidnapped. Ah, I hate those movies. And then Liam Neeson is the guy with the gun that he's going to get, you know, I'm not going to pay the ransom. Um, but somehow in some mysterious way, and you can have atonement theory after atonement theory. It's like this. It's like that. Jesus' blood on the cross does this. It does that. In some radical, mysterious way, what Jesus' death on the cross does do in the realm of God's love and God's earth is it pays for us to have a relationship with God where we can be called holy and blameless. That's what it does. Now, imagine if you gave, okay, imagine if you had someone you love very much and you gave them a gift that was like, it like costs you a lot of time or money or something, okay? And then that person got it and then said, how much did you pay for that? No, tell me, I have to know. How much did you work for it? How many years did it take for you to work for that? You get to, it's, it's really gonna help me really enjoy the gift if I know how much it costs, how much you slaved away, how many dishes you had to wash in order for me to like, in order for me to get this gift, how much did it cost? And like, you kind of get the sense where God goes like, I don't want to tell you how much it cost. Just suffice it to say, it cost a lot, but you're worth it, and I did it, and I would do it again. Can you just enjoy it? No, man, I want to, I want to debate. I want to know what atonement theory is Right? so that I can feel a sense of justification of receiving that gift because I understand it perfectly because I'm Western. 
It's like our Eastern brothers and sisters like, you guys are crazy, man. That's why the schism happened over a thousand years ago. And there's all Eastern Orthodox people are like, man, we're good. We're, you know, we're okay. You Westerners are crazy. How are you doing, CJ? Two minutes until 20? Whew, okay. Uh, so that's ransom. Everybody tracking with ransom? Now, it's not, I'm not saying it's not good to have some understanding about things, right? And to debate and to get some, I'm, I am one of those people that likes to understand, that likes to study. So t- please hear me on that. I like to go back and forth. I like to plumb the depths. What I'm saying is, when we get to be so intense about that, that we say to someone else who has a different understanding than we do, that their understanding is so wrong that now we're going to question that they're even in. That's where it's like, okay, now we've jumped over the edge <laughs> of just receiving a good gift. Now uh, we've had to qualify and quantify that gift and say, uh, the reason why I've received that gift is because I understand it. I can get it fundamentally. And I will say this too. Uh, the Western mind as it relates to Christianity, if, 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 if you think about, like in order to become a Christian, you need to understand atonement, you need to get a concept of heaven and hell, you need to get a concept of your sins, and there's all kinds of mental ascent that you have to do, right? But is anyone related to someone with um, mental challenges that wouldn't be able to make all those connections? Well, where do they fit into that, right? So uh, I think mental gymnastics and food fights and theological stuff like that is fun. But we have to make, we have to make sure we are doing what the Jewish brothers and sisters would say. We're arguing for the sake of heaven, that we have a humility to our convictions, and we say we might be wrong, and we give people the benefit of the doubt, uh, and we learn from each other, right? So I think that's important. Forgiveness. Uh, This is the hardest one to get, because it really means letting it go as if it didn't happen, and none of us can do that (laughs) when we've been hurt. But in some mysterious way, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I believe God can forget my sins. Um, Because they're paid for. Because that's a done deal. And I want to argue with that. I want to earn it somehow by... Sometimes I think I I became a pastor just to earn... (laughs) Earn... Uh, the love that I felt from God when I was 21 and the love that I felt from God when I was 21 was affection. I felt like for the first time God expressed to me that God likes me. That's, that's what turned me around. And then I, then I remembered like the last six or seven years before that moment. Um, and sometimes I wonder like, I think God called me to be a pastor. I think I also, um, in some ways, chose it to pay back. And then, even if I did do that, I think God is so good that God's like, awesome! 
Let's use that bad decision, motivated by guilt, <laughs> to do something good. Wouldn't that be great if that's how it worked? Like, I think that's grace. I think that's what grace is. Because we think, oh, okay, now, perfect decisions from now on. Here we go. How's that working for you? What if God, every decision, uh, it's, you know, challenging, it's good, it's bad, it's eh, whatever. Uh, and then God said, okay, here we are now. So here's a possibility. Wouldn't that be a God worth following? Unless, of course, he decided that you were predestined to go to hell from the beginning of all time, at which time those decisions don't matter at all. See what I'm saying? Like, at, at some point, you have to point out the difficulties in that kind of a theology. Okay. With all wisdom and insight, I will whew, wrap up this sermon uh, with all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what is God up to in the world? Where is this world going? What is God doing? The person of Jesus of Nazareth shows what God is doing, reconciling matter and spirit, the foundation of the world, and in Christ into one non-dual being. Jesus, the Christ, unites humanity and divinity and becomes the person that allows us to be in relationship with God, holy and blameless through his death and resurrection, and then becomes <laughs> the pattern for us to believe that we then we move forth in the world as indwelled by the divine and also fully human. So every sinful mistake we ever will make, and we will, can be forgiven, reconciled, made new by the indwelling divine within us. And that is why we do the Eucharist every week, because it has to get that tangible. Because it's not our minds anymore. It's like every week, matter, Bread, body, and spirit, divinity, blood. Those are both entering into me, the body of Christ entering into me, the non-dual body of Christ, matter and spirit united so that I can move out into the world without fear, experiencing God's grace, and being the body of Christ in the world. And we do it together because not any one of us are the complete picture of the body of Christ. We all need each other, and we all are in it together because we can't do it alone. The body of Christ is impoverished in the world if we're missing you. Amen? Last picture. You know the three parables? Lost coin. Someone loses a coin. Searches for it, searches for it, searches for it. I have nine, but I need the tenth. I'm going to search the whole house for it until I find it. Uh, woman sweeping. That's the picture I want you to leave with. God is a woman sweeping under the, like I'm not satisfied until everything, everyone, the last coin is gathered up together in Christ. 
lost sheep. God only cares about the masses. No, God cares about the masses. God cares about the individual too. I'm going to gather everyone all up together in Christ. Lost son, same thing. Elder son, younger son, same problem. (laughs) Same problem. Good God, good father, good mother sweeping that floor, good shepherd. That's the theme of the scriptures. Amen? So let's move into 60 seconds of silence. After which time, Laura is going to come up and lead us through the prayers of confession and then into the Eucharist. So come Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Thank you.